Greetings and welcome on board WKOK Sunrise. We have on the news line with us now Dr. Frank Maffei is here. He's the Geisinger Chair of Pediatrics. Thanks for calling in today, Dr. Maffei. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to speak to you and your, your listeners. How much are you hearing from parents about MISC? Is this on the mind of a lot of people around here? I think so. I think that um, there's been a, a lot of attention um, uh, paid to it in the, in the press and, and appropriate because uh, this is uh, something novel, unique, uh, and it is in the midst of a pandemic um, that, um, you know, we initially had thought was going to spare our children uh, from significant burden of illness uh, from the, the novel coronavirus that causes COVID-19. But now we're seeing something that uh, was unexpected, um, and parents have appropriate questions. So, yeah, we're, we're getting a, a fair amount of questions, but they're appropriate questions, and, and, and they need to be you know, answered and so that we can get the, uh, the, the factual data out there so that there's no uh, misconceptions of the risk or you know, what this is and what it is not. Okay, so as a pediatric doctor, what is MISC from your perspective? Yeah, so, it's, so let's, we'll break it down. It's multi-system inflammatory syndrome in children. And it is related, likely related, although, you know, there's not an absolute causal link, but we expect that there will be, uh, to the, the virus that causes COVID-19, the novel coronavirus, the SARS-CoV-2 virus. So we know it's likely because of the virus, but the temporal um, or the timing of when this syndrome sort of appears is unique in children. So when we think of COVID-19, we think of the, the new virus, the coronavirus, when it affects adults and children, we think of respiratory symptoms or flu-like illness, uh, and it's rather acute. You get the virus, and you know ultimately within 7 to 14 days, you may show signs of illness. What's different here is that this may be a delayed manifestation of covid 19 in children, so that a child may have had an infection, may not have had what we would call a, a significant acute illness, but may display illness later on. And the illness later on is this multi-system inflammatory syndrome in children. And one of the things I, I would want to tell your listeners is, although it's getting a lot of press, it is still exceedingly rare. It really is. Uh, where it's going to get a lot of press is in the appropriate places where the disease prevalence, the, 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 the degree of infection, uh, is highest. So in New York City, uh, certainly the MISC um, uh, cases um, you know, were, were notable. Um, I will tell you that in our region, there are very, very few. Um, at Geisinger, we have one uh, confirmed case and one under investigation. Uh, and I'm glad to say both those uh, um, young folks are, are, are recovering and uh, doing well. Um, but it's still exceedingly rare. So to answer your question, what is it? So multi-system inflammatory syndrome in children we think is a delayed manifestation of uh, the novel um, uh, coronavirus. And if we look at the name, we say multi-system. What does that mean? It means that it, it can display itself in a, in a number of symptoms. The one symptom that seems to be consistent is fever. So the presence of fever and 
these other things should prompt a parent to talk to their pediatrician about um, the possibility of this syndrome. More likely, it's going to be another viral illness, a, a fairly benign viral illness, like a summertime virus, like enterovirus. But nonetheless, we should be on the alert for this. So what are those other symptoms? Well, uh, it might be a rash. It might be an unusual rash uh, that uh, uh, is concomitant with that fever. It might be GI symptoms. So this is, this is something that's, that seems um, uh, fairly um, common in the syndrome is youngsters will have um, diarrhea or severe abdominal pain. So if I have fever plus these other symptoms, abdominal pain, um, uh, new rash, a change in the color of the extremities, the change in the color of the mucous membrane. Um, if there's signs of, uh, of, of heart involvement, perhaps the youngster is getting fatigued very, very quickly, uh, has fever and just is, is terribly fatigued, that might be a sign of cardiac involvement. So those symptoms should alert a mom or dad to, to, to seek medical uh, attention uh, and certainly um, be in touch with their pediatrician. If the child appears acutely ill to the point where they're having trouble breathing, where there's discoloration of blueness and they look like they're in distress, that's a 911 call. Again, the likelihood of it happening is exceedingly rare, but parents should be aware that fever plus these other things should prompt um, uh, you know, medical attention either if the child otherwise appears fairly well, a call to the pediatrician. If the child appears acutely ill, uh, a trip to the emergency department. What's happening in the child's body at that time? So that's a great question. So when we test those, these youngsters for MISC, some of them uh, do not have signs of acute infection. Like you won't get the virus from the nasopharynx like you would in um, an acute COVID illness in an, in an adult, and even some children can have an acute uh, manifestation of this virus. In these kids, um, some of the studies have shown nearly half of them don't have that virus present in their nasopharynx. But what they may have is antibody evidence that they've had the infection. So what does that mean? That means that the virus, and the virus is you know has proteins associated with it, that there's a there's a portion of that virus that has produced a delayed inflammatory response. It has triggered the immune system in a manner to uh, have many different organs involved, which would, again, include the, the, the gastrointestinal system, the cardiac system, uh, dermatologically with rash, mucous membranes. So it's a systemic. So when I say systemic, it really can involve, you know, multiple uh, areas of the body, hence the name multi-system. So there's an enormous inflammatory response that's going on, and it can manifest with these very um, uh, diverse symptoms. Is it safe for a layperson then to say that at some point in the past this child had COVID-19, or isn't that actually really even necessarily true? Well, no, I think that that is part of the criteria, that we have to say that if we're going to say that this is, uh, you know, related to COVID, that we would, we want that connection, right? So, so the CDC um, says that, look, the way you, you, you know for sure is, one, if they still have virus uh, present in their nasopharynx when we do our P 
PCR, that test for the virus, two, if they have those antibodies, or they may just have a, a significant exposure. Someone in the home was uh, uh, recovering from COVID-19 uh, within four weeks of the onset of these symptoms. So, yes, if we're, if we're looking closely at a child who may have multisystem inflammatory syndrome, we are looking for that connection. Uh, so we're assuming that there is that connection when we, when we go down and look at the criteria of, 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 uh, of what the CDC has put out uh, to help define the syndrome. One of those criteria are that you've had a positive test for SARS-CoV-2, the, the virus, or an antibody test that shows that you've had it or you had a very close contact with someone with COVID-19. So you've had contact with somebody, but the child never had full-blown symptoms and the fever and things that are associated? It's a a good point, Mark, is that they may have not shown that acute manifestation, those acute symptoms of the flu-like illness that many adults, uh, and even some children, have with uh, uh, COVID-19. This is a del- what we believe is more of a delayed manifestation. They may have been either minimally symptomatic or perhaps even asymptomatic at the initial time of their infection, but then later, within four weeks or so, developed this inflammatory response, this delayed inflammatory response to the infection that perhaps they did not have a significant illness with four weeks prior. Is there any other ailment or disease that has this unusual inflammatory reaction, you know, in response to either having something previously or maybe not having something previously? That's a great question, uh, because that question leads to what, what folks initially started saying, hey, look, this is reminiscent of something else we see in pediatrics, and it's very, very unique to pediatrics, and that's called Kawasaki's disease. Now, Kawasaki's disease is an inflammatory syndrome. It does involve multiple systems, but the interesting thing with Kawasaki's disease is that we've searched for decades for a specific virus that triggers Kawasaki's disease. We have not found it, but the presumption is that a disease, Kawasaki's disease, is really a delayed inflammatory response to a viral trigger. We just don't know exactly what that triggers in Kawasaki's disease, but multi-system inflammatory syndrome actually has some of those components, so red eyes and red mucous membrane, uh, a rash, those things are shared in Kawasaki's disease. So that's why when this was first described in the, in the United Kingdom, they were calling it Kawasaki's-like uh, disease. Uh, but then we started noticing some other things that were very unique to multi-system inflammatory syndrome, such as in Kawasaki's disease, generally you're under four years of age, but in this ailment, this ailment uh, likely associated with COVID-19, we're even seeing up to young adults displaying this multi-system inflammatory changes that we see. So uh, that is distinctly different than Kawasaki's disease. The other interesting thing about Kawasaki's disease is shock, you know, uh, cardiac shock as a presentation, very rare. Although Kawasaki's disease can affect the heart, as far as it presenting with low blood pressure and shock, that's not typical of the case. That's more reminiscent of another inflammatory disease called toxic shock syndrome. So multi-system inflammatory syndrome has shared features. It looks like Kawasaki, 
but it can also behave like toxic shock in its acute or what we call fulminant presentation at times. Again, exceedingly rare when, when it presents as shock, but it has been described. Uh, it's been described in the New York City uh, recent report um, uh, that was published in the Journal of the American Medical Association. Well, now tell me your geneticists there aren't saying, okay, step aside, Doc, we'll figure out why this is happening. Is this not like a thousand-piece puzzle for them with like no image to put together, just the shaped pieces? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, the genetic link is interesting because what we're starting to realize is, is it's not like a genetic, you know, uh, uh, a discrete genetic defect that gives you uh, multi-system inflammatory syndrome. That's not the case. But the host, we're all hosts, Right. So when we say the word host, it means that we're the host to the, the virus. The virus comes into the home, and we're the host. As host, Mark is different than Frank, is different than Joe, is different than Linda, and that we all have a different you know, immune system based on our genetic makeup. And perhaps there are some nuances, some subtleties in our genetic makeup that make one person more likely to... Um, display the manifestations of a certain disease like multi-system inflammatory syndrome than another person. So uh, your, your point about getting the genetics folks involved is, is, a, is, a, is, a, is an interesting one because I do believe that um, we still are at a loss uh, to trying to understand why, you know, um, little Eileen, who's four years old, you know, uh, you know, got COVID and had a snotty nose and perhaps a low-grade fever, but Joshua, who's 11 years old, you know, displayed uh, a fulminant form of multi-system inflammatory syndrome. So I do believe that uh, as we get um, uh, more astute in understanding our, uh, our, our genetic makeup and how each host is different, that perhaps we'll one day identify those um, uh, factors that place certain individuals at risk for more severe illness. Well, just because I know enough about Geisinger to know that my Geisinger work is underway, it wouldn't be shocked to see that some of that piecing together, that puzzle, happens right there in Danville, where you know some of your people are working on that. Uh, what should parents watch out for? It sounds like this could disguise itself almost. What should they keep an eye out for? Great question. So if your child has fever, and your child has a low-grade fever and is playing with Legos and looks great um, and displays no other symptoms, uh, I would, you know, just make sure your pediatrician knows that you're watching a child at home with a febrile illness, uh, and the likelihood is that child's going to be fine. Um, but if the fever persists or is accompanied by other symptoms, uh, and those symptoms that I would sort of say, gosh, you probably need to really be checking in with your pediatrician are abdominal pain, severe at times, vomiting and diarrhea, rash, if the eyes look bloodshot, if the extremities have different colors that you wouldn't otherwise, you know, see, maybe very, very red or even a, a, a bluish tint. Those are all concerning features, and that's where I would be calling your pediatrician. Uh, it is exceedingly rare, but if the child develops a very, um, what we call florid or acute presentation, they may have the fever and, and, and even more concerning symptoms. That would, those more concerning symptoms like trouble breathing 
or an altered mental status, which means they're not behaving well, they're confused, they're very, very lethargic. Um, that, that requires a call uh, to your EMS folks to get your child to the emergency department. Again, exceedingly rare. We're not seeing it in Northeast Pennsylvania because the COVID-19 disease burden here is markedly different than our neighbors in New York City uh, and even New Jersey. So, um, uh, but nonetheless, uh, you ask a very good question, and I think the answer is, you know, to be vigilant. You see fever, assess your child, look for those other symptoms, abdominal pain, diarrhea, vomiting, rash, discolored eyes, discolored lips and hands and fingers. That's a call to your pediatrician, and if the symptoms are severe, that's a call to 911. Do parents get just MIS, or do adults get? Yeah, so we're not seeing it in the much older population, but we are seeing it in young adults. So, yes, a young parent could potentially get this, but, again, what's being described is generally in the pediatric age group. Uh, the median age in the one study uh, in New York City was about eight or nine years old, uh, but certainly we've had uh, um, youngsters, you know, 18, 19, and there are reports even in the early 20s. But it does appear to be mainly a pediatric disease, uh, again, unlike Kawasaki's, which generally is the young, young kids, you know, under four, this can affect youngsters and young adults, uh, even into their early 20s. Are there other ailments that just kids get that adults go, don't, or are there adult ailments that oh, yeah. kids just don't get? So that's not a bizarre circumstance in and of itself. No, 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 gosh, that's what makes pediatrics, you know, uh, unique. That's why we have children's hospitals, Right. Because there are, you know, developmental illnesses that, that really only occur in pediatrics, right? So, you know, there's a, 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 an interesting disease in infancy where a child, you know, has uh, persistent vomiting, and it's because of an outlet obstruction to the stomach called pyloric stenosis. That doesn't happen in adults. Uh, there are metabolic diseases that really manifest in infancy uh, that really don't happen in adults. Uh, and even certain cancers are, are far more common in children, like uh, Wilms tumor and neuroblastoma, than adults. So uh, it's a great question, and it's one that I, I will, you know, take advantage of because uh, we uh, at Janet Weiss Children's Hospital and, and Geisinger Pediatrics are very much in tune to those illnesses that really uniquely affect our children, and we want to be certain that we are diagnosing them appropriately. Uh, and uh, and treating them in, 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 with best practice and, and having great outcomes. So, uh, yes, uh, you know, there's a saying that I'm not as fond of as some people, but people will say, you know, children aren't little adults. That's true. That's true. Children are not little adults, but it's much more than that. They have unique physiologic sort of transitions that occur in infancy and, and, and uh, uh, as toddlers that pedi only pediatricians really sort of understand to the point where they can help manage uh, illnesses that occur during those developmental stages. So I think um, uh, our pediatricians, our family practice physicians, our med, uh, internal medicine pediatric physicians are uniquely qualified to sort of uh, be on the lookout for those very uh, unique illnesses that affect our children. How do you treat the various different symptoms then? best way to sort of think about it is that you want to temper the immune response. You want to what we call modulate the immune response. We, we don't want the immune response to create such inflammation. 
So there are some standard uh, uh, medications that have been used successfully in toxic shock syndrome and uh, Kawasaki's in particular that uh, seem to be working in MISC. So we use things like uh, immunoglobulin. We use things like uh, steroids. And what we try to do is we try to sort of quiet the immune system so that it's not creating such a, uh, a, a, a very inflamed state or an inflammatory response. Um, interesting, um, the acute viral infection with COVID is treated with a, uh, sometimes treated with a viral drug called remdesivir. This probably is not the time for remdesivir because the time for remdesivir is probably passed because antiviral drugs are only, well, not only, but are best used early, early in the viral uh, process. So uh, that's a caveat here. Here with MISC, we really want to modulate the immune response. We want to attenuate it. We want it to quiet down. And we have certain medications that do that. Whereas in an acute COVID infection that's leading to respiratory distress in a, in a 35-year-old or an 82-year-old, there, the, the, the therapies would be distinctly different and in including antiviral drugs. Give us a glimpse of some of the implications in terms of vaccines then, since they rely on antibodies, and that seems to be the bridge to touch off the MISC. So that's a, a good question. I think there's a lot of uh, unknowns regarding the vaccine. Uh, most vaccines do not, do not um, induce the same inflammation as the actual Virus. Many vaccines are attenuated, where the viral particles really are 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 not able to create the viral-induced illness like they they would otherwise. So I don't foresee the vaccine uh, being um, uh, a trigger for MISC. Um, but again, uh, uh, there are uh, immunologists and. Uh, uh, folks who have an enormous experience in vaccine research uh, that are working very hard to, to better understand what is the best vaccination approach for um, uh, dealing with the, uh, uh, the, the SARS virus here. Anything else important to tell our audience? To, anything else to tell yes. the parents in the Valley? Yeah, I would tell the parents in the Valley that they're doing a wonderful job watching over their children, but I would encourage them not to let their guard down. Don't let your guard down. So there are certain things that we should just be making part of our daily life. We should be washing our hands, not only our children's hands, which you may help them learn how to wash their hands, but our own hands as parents. So we, we should be cleaning our hands often using soap or alcohol-based hand sanitizer. We should be using common sense about being around people who are sick. We don't want our children around people who are sick and we don't want our children who may have a mild illness, even a, a cold, to be around the most vulnerable, so an older uh, family member. So we want to sort of put distance between um, uh, our children uh, uh, in keeping them uh, from getting people sick or them becoming sick. So the way to do that is, is to continue the social distancing. I know it's hard. I know it's hard, and I know that uh, there may be some mixed messages out there about, well, you know, you can, you can have a party and, you know, it's okay. I am not prepared to, to sort of go there yet. We still have some work to do. I know that uh, we're loosening some of the, um, uh, uh, the statewide restrictions, but if, if I could advise parents, I would say that you still probably um, are best uh, keeping your child uh, away from large, 
especially uh, in-house gatherings. Um, you know, I wouldn't do a play date with five other children in someone's house. I just don't think that's a good idea. Um, I would be uh, making sure if they're old enough to wear a mask when they're out in public, perhaps shopping with you, that they would wear a mask. And I think most kids under, I'm sorry, older than two uh, can be coaxed with an appropriate-looking mask, you know, a pediatric-friendly mask to wear a mask. Um, uh, and then there's, there's things that we could do from an, an environment standpoint. You know, it's unlikely. I think the new data is showing that, you know, transmission from surfaces is less likely. But it's still possible. So certainly cleaning your cell phones and making sure that, you know, surfaces are, are, are kept, are, are kept uh, especially high-touch surfaces, are, are, are cleaned daily. Uh, all those things, I think, are, 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 are appropriate measures for all um, uh, transmissible infections, but I think are especially important during this pandemic. Is there anything else you want to add? You really have an open mic. I can add it on here. Again, I, I just I, I want to thank the parents in the Valley. Uh, they're doing a great job keeping our children safe. Uh, you know, I've been out and about, and 